0: Well, welcome to this Reformation and Revival video. Uh, today, I'm here with Lucas Blevins, who is the director of outreach at Tiny Heartbeats Ministries, which is a ministry based right here in Moscow, Moscow Pullman area, um, that serves to um, would you say eradicate abortion? Is that a is that a, is that a fair uh, analysis of your mission statement?
1: Most certainly. Uh, we want the complete abolishment of abortion in America.
0: Okay. Very good. Well, you um, spoke recently at a Disputatio at New St. Andrews College. I was there. I thought it was very good. And I thought, well, I'd love to sit with you and talk a little bit about here we are post post row post-Dobbs. Um, and yet we know that uh, abortions still happen. Mm-hmm. So um, we live right here in Moscow. 15 minutes away is Pullman, Washington, um, where people are going regularly. They're getting an increase actually at their um, uh, abortion care facilities with people going there now to get abortions. And so we still need to labor for um, changing of people's minds and hearts. We do that through the Word. Tiny Heartbeats Ministries seems to be all about this. And uh, it's a work that you've been engaged in for some time. So just uh, remind me, how long have you been now serving at Tiny Heartbeats? I've been doing this uh, for about a year and a half. Okay. And then the ministry itself has been around for how long? We were
1: founded uh, just about two and a half years ago, fall 2020.
0: Okay. Okay. So why don't you just give a quick sketch of like, um, what's the what's the basic work that Tiny Heartbeats does and where does it do it?
1: Yeah. We um, focus our efforts on the three Cs. Uh, the first is clinics. We go to abortion clinics, to sidewalk council, young, women, young mothers there, uh, go and talk to them, try to talk them out of their abortions, I go and share with them the love and healing of Jesus Christ. Uh, The second is culture. We go to college campuses, high school campuses and urban centers to talk to people um, hopefully long before they get to the clinic, try to convince them again that abortion is wrong. And then we also go to churches uh, to go and equip Christians in how to engage on the topic.
0: Okay, so when you're out on the street, say um, someone comes up to you, they want to debate you about abortion, What's kind of a simple, uh, how would you approach telling someone or helping someone to see that abortion is sinful, wrong, ought not to be done?
1: Yeah, for most of our volunteers, we equip them with a syllogism that we use. Uh, It goes like this. Uh, Abortion always intentionally kills an innocent human being. Um, Sorry, I misspoke there. Uh, They
0: have these great things where they just just wipe it away.
1: (laughs) It is always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Abortion always does that therefore, abortion is always wrong. When you start your arguments there, it just precedes most of the pro-choice slogans because you ask them, what does, insert their slogan here, have to do with it being wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings.
0: Mm. And like, when you have presented this, what's the common responses from people?
1: Um, it's, it varies. Uh, some people are pretty hostile. Uh, people who come up to us who are angry that Pro-life Christians are out here spreading the truth. Um, Sometimes they'll be angry. Sometimes people are surprised. Um, There's this image of pro-lifers that we are hateful bigots that scream at people. Um, And so when they meet a Tiny Heartbeats volunteer that talks to them cordially, they can be surprised and Mm -hmm. open-minded. And then you have Christians who um, are uninformed on the issue, who tend to come up and they're also surprised. Often their eyes are opened uh, about what we're sharing with them.
0: Yeah. um, What kind of um, counsel do you give people who want to get involved in this kind of work dealing with a highly emotional situation? Uh, There's people that are going to get very angry at you. There's going to be Christians that think you ought not to be doing what you're doing. Um, What are some of the principles you tell people to navigate such situations?
1: Yeah, there's several different tools uh, that we give people um, or that they have available to them already. The first is prayer. A lot of people forget that we can pray to our Almighty God at any time of the day, no matter what's going on. And so if you're engaging with someone who's difficult to talk to, reaching out to the Holy Spirit for guidance is the first thing that you should do. Um, after that, the we are often surprised at um, how little People who are pro-choice know about the details of the issue. Um, when you start describing what an abortion procedure looks like, what it feels like, it tends to get them off on the uh, get them off their weight, uh, and they s- start stumbling a little bit in what they're saying. Another thing is going and um, resisting the urge to um, shove truth down someone's throat who has been lied to their whole life. Um, it takes time for people to rework a worldview that they've held since they were young and so um being patient with people and taking them through often the same argument several times you'll notice that they start to break down um it breaks down their worldview over time because the the logic is not often with the pro-choice movement
0: Mm -hmm. and there's uh there's some issue with uh, whether one should use the word person or human so when you start to get into these conversations with people, um, which term do you recommend people use and why?
1: I tend to, uh, I tend to go and uh, instruct people to use the term human first, um, because that's something that um, is a biological definition. Um, it's something that even an atheist will agree oftentimes um, that an unborn human is human, at least much faster than they'll agree that they're a person. And furthermore than that, we believe that the Bible teaches us not just that we can't kill innocent persons, but we can't kill innocent human beings.
0: Now, um, in the abortion debate, you hear a lot of talk about um, rape, incest, and life of the mother. So along each one of those, like how are Christians to be thinking about each of those exceptions? particularly life of the mother, but once you kind of speak to each one.
1: Yeah. The, um, what about rape is something that is propagated constantly. Every single time that I go out to talk about abortion with the public, I hear that line. What about rape? Um, something that I encourage Christians to do is, um, there is a right answer, but you have to understand that again, the, the left has been, um, inculcating people in these lies and in, um, going and lifting up the mother's pain over the baby's value. And so, um, starting out with sympathy or empathy for um, people that you're talking to, whether they may be victims of rape or no victims of rape or sexual assault, um, you can get off on the wrong foot right away by making the issue smaller than what it is to them. Again, it's not to say that we should see ground, but, um, someone's a lot more likely to listen to you when they think that you care about them. Um, so empathizing, sympathizing with them first. Um, but then after that, I tend to try and paint a triangle with the person that I'm talking to, right in rape, there are three people involved. You have the innocent mother, the horrible rapist, father, and the unborn child, who's also innocent. I will ask people who in this threesome, who, who should be given the death penalty. And even the most ardent pro choicers will very quickly say well, the father, of course, or they'll say nobody." To which you respond, then why should we be giving the death penalty to the child instead? I found that that's broken down that argument, that one-liner very quickly for a lot of people. With incest, it's even easier. Almost anyone you talk to is against eugenics and abortion in the case of incest is simply eugenics when you break it down you are going and choosing to kill this person because they are physically inferior because they're physically having some sort of defect that is not how even secular people want to build their societies finally with regard to the life of the mother um, again this is a mistruth that has been propagated um, just throughout um, at least my entire life that A lot of abortions have to take place because lives of mothers are at risk. And that's just a straight up lie. The vast majority of pregnancies where there are life-threatening complications, those complications occur in the third trimester when an abortion procedure actually takes 48 to 72 hours um, to actually complete because they have to dilate the mother's cervix large enough for the abortions instruments to go in and the baby to come out. In those cases, it is always or almost always um, statistically uh, safer for those mothers to actually deliver the baby either naturally or through a c-section than to go and get an abortion. This is news to even pro-lifers and Christians who have bought into this idea of the life of the mother. Do I believe that there are some situations where the um, mother and the child are at odds with each other that the they cannot continue in the pregnancy or else they'll both die? Of course, those do happen, but they're minuscule. They are exceedingly rare. It's not something that we have to go and build these vast exceptions in that end up accounting for other abortions. Rather, there are things that we should tailor to the minute possibility that they are.
0: Yeah. It seems to me that post obs uh, there's a temptation to let off the gas. And people could say, look, um, Roe was in place, now is not in place. Uh, it's now back to the States, and this is a good thing. Um, but that is a temptation that we ought not to fall into. So, wh- what's it been like for you engaged in this kind of ministry every day, trying to change hearts and minds through word and through truth? Um, what's it been like?
1: Post Dobbs, um, we expected a lot of things to change. We expected an increase in hostility. We expected um, either an increase in fervor for the pro-life movement or perhaps a decrease. Um, but what we were surprised by was that out here in the Pacific Northwest, people were already angry and had their mind made up about abortion in, um, in Washington and Oregon, particularly the laws haven't changed. In fact, in some places they've allowed abortion further. For those people, their lives haven't changed. Maybe they're angry for women in other states, but for them, their life hasn't changed. In Idaho, it's a little bit different um, because of our almost complete ban um, that has caused um, mothers who want to kill, the ch- kill their children in this state to have to fly out or drive out of state. but. Um, For the most part, things have stayed the same. We've seen a a bit of an increase in violence towards um, the service arm of the pro-life movement, your pregnancy resource centers, which is devastating and tragic. They are the, in some ways, the most defenseless in the pro-life movement, and I think that's why they're targeted. But um, for us, people have, um, in some senses, only flocked to our cause further. Now that they see the opportunity to create real change uh, in their minds, they have been interested in doing more work than before.
0: So one of the things that uh, Tiny Heartbeats does is sidewalk counseling, where you're right there, you're at the abortion clinic, um, the lady's going in there, you know, she's going in there to have an abortion, and you have just a little, a little bit of time. Um, you've already indicated some some people might do this um, in a wrong manner, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done at all. So. Um, Either for those who are already engaged in this kind of ministry or for those who are thinking about getting involved in this kind of ministry, what are some keys to sidewalk counseling that you would provide?
1: I think the first one is that anyone can do it. Uh, you, don't need a, you don't need to read a book. You don't need to go through a training. You can start sidewalk counseling right now. It's not something that's difficult. Um, the hardest part about it is just trusting in the Lord that He is sovereign over it, um, some key principles that we tell people are, uh, you have to make sure you stay off of private property. Uh, you can't um, go and block driveways. You can't go on to Planned Parenthood or other clinics property. Um, they can trespass you. They can sometimes charge you with a felony. We would prefer that you don't get that simply so that you could go do more sidewalk counseling. Um, so staying off private property. Um, when you're speaking with the mothers, uh, a lot of times the closest public property is a sidewalk um, and it can sometimes be a little bit of a distance to the door. And so something we recommend is actually cupping your hands around your mouth, um, going and speaking um, firmly, but with as gentle a tone as you can to reach those women and say your name, say, my name is Lucas and I'm here to help you. Can you please come over and talk to me? I want to share some information with you. I want to share some resources with you. If you're pregnant, you're already a mother. Just going and practicing saying a couple things on your own that you can go and say in these 10, 15 seconds between when the women get from the car to the door, it goes a long way.
0: So if you uh, pre-Dobbs, it was pretty clear within the um, pro-life movement, broadly speaking, you had kind of traditional pro-lifers and you had the abolitionists. Yeah. I'm not sure how clearly defined those two camps were, but you at least, I mean, they were defined enough to call them camps. Um, Dobbs seems to throw some interesting uh, dynamics into that equation. Uh, If you have a whole bunch of Christians, you got kind of a a new wave of people that are aware of abortion. They want to do something about it. How would you encourage them to think about the categories now, like traditional pro-lifer, abolitionists? what should we think about these categories and how should we try to move forward?
1: As with lots of labels, I think that um, when you start getting down to the actual work, the labels can be unhelpful. Um, I think that people who go and choose to say, I am firmly in this camp, tend to be uh, less open-minded to new ideas or to other strategies. Um, For I think new Christians that are getting involved I would warn you not to fall onto either side of perhaps this debate. On one side, your traditional pro-lifer, I think that they don't go far enough. They, A lot of them um, support exceptions for rape, for incest, for the health of the mother, which is different than the life of the mother. Um, and I would disagree with that. I think we should abolish abortion completely. But on the abolitionist side, um, you have people who use that term and say, you are a sinner, if you support any bill that is not a complete abolition of abortion in that state. And I think that if we are to be consistent Christians that are living in the world that Jesus has put us in, we have to go and take whatever action we have available. I would love to see any sort of ban in Washington even if that meant a 24 week ban where every single abortion that was after 24 weeks was banned. Obviously, as someone who wants to see the complete abolishment of abortion, we would have to keep fighting for that to eventually get to zero weeks. But even at 24 weeks, there are babies being saved. I believe that um, the something that was concerning to me earlier this year um, was the fact that abolitionists were going in rallying against the Texas heartbeat bill, uh, which in some ways was the spur of this recent uh, influx of pro-life Christians. That bill in Texas, though I don't think it goes far enough and needs to go far enough, saved thousands of babies. And that's the truth. We as Christians should should celebrate that victory and then push for the end.
0: So you mentioned, health of the mother issues so first what what is what's the left doing when they say um, we need to do abortions for the health of the mother like what's really going on there and then secondly um what would you say to christians who might get played by that kind of rhetoric and think well i I care about the health of women Mm -hmm. Um, so first what's the substance of that's actually going on and then second what's a word to christians so that they don't get played
1: For most of us, when we hear an exception for the health of the mother, we think some great bodily harm or death. But legally speaking, um, because of a Supreme Court case that came down the same day as Roe v. Wade, it's Doe v. Bolton, um, the word health in this context includes the mother's financial health, her family health, her mental health, among other things. And so what that means is that practically speaking, if you allow an exception for health, that lets women go and get abortions as long as they can demonstrate that in any way their mental health, financial health, familial health, or these other categories has been affected. And anyone who has seen someone be pregnant knows that your mental health is affected, your familial health is usually affected, and your financial health is most certainly affected. It's just how things are. And so um, for Christians, that you need to understand that while we would say that there should be no exceptions, that abortion should always be illegal, even if you're in the camp of, of wanting some sort of exception, health is not the way to go. Health means that um, in Washington, a woman can get an abortion at any, state in her, at any gestation of her pregnancy and that is with it, with it supposedly being banned after viability except for health.
0: So, Tiny Heartbeats is laboring, uh, sidewalk counseling, you also use pictures, and you said you find this to be highly effective that when people just see the results and see what an abortion is really about, um, that, that that's shocking but um, we're also laboring for laws. We're we're looking for a day in which um, abortion will be illegal, plain and simple. Uh, That, of course, involves punishments. So, what kind of penalties are going to be handed down now? States are going to be trying to figure that out right now as we speak, a whole bunch of states. Um, And Christians are, um, well, not all Christians are lawmakers. We're saints. We're given the word. We're trying to Tell those who are lawmakers, kiss the sun lest you perish in the way. Um, So what kind of penalties uh, ought we to be looking for in a future state as abortion is increasingly outlawed? I'd love to
1: get back to a discussion over the pictures. Regarding the punishment um, for abortions, I think that the killing of the unborn should be treated legally just like the killing of the born. We look at the knowledge of the perpetrators. We look at the intentionality of the perpetrators. We look not just at the person who used the knife, but also the person who gave them the knife, also the person who drove them to the location, also the person who went and asked them to do this. Um, In the case of abortion, um, what I've seen in my experience on the streets is that more and more people are recognizing that the unborn are human, that abortion is murder, and yet that they still wanna do it. That is fundamentally different than what has been propagated about mothers getting abortions. Um, a lot of people like to say that all mothers are victims. They, they don't know what they're doing. They've been lied to. They are um, completely unaware. And while maybe there's some, some of them that are completely unaware, I'll grant you that, all, almost all of the ones that I've talked to that are in my generation love abortion and love it for what it really is. For someone who murders somebody else, loving that action, premeditating it, that should be treated as premeditated murder. Likewise, somebody who goes and unintentionally kills somebody else, that should be treated as an unintentional manslaughter. There are different legal definitions for how these would be worked out, but in my mind, this should be given to the juror, given to the jurisprudence of judges who can sift through these situations with their experience.
0: So let's hear a little bit more about this. You've used um, pictures with Tiny Heartbeats. You say you find this highly effective. So what has that been like? Um, you know, how, how have you seen that payoff?
1: We at Tiny Heartbeats use abortion victim photography. Uh, these are pictures of what babies look like after they've been aborted. And we found that um, a countless number of individuals have changed their mind just by looking at these pictures. We're not the only group that used them, but among the pro-life movement, we're a small segment. And I think that that's unfortunate. We look through history at some of the great abolitionists of slavery. The most effective ones in my mind were the ones that went and showed what slavery really was, what the real cost was, what the real human toll was. That is what abortion victim photography is doing for our modern Holocaust. It's going and saying, this is what the body of the child looks like after you've chosen to kill them. Because there are people who are convinced that um, the baby is non-human, that they're just a clump of cells, that they're alien looking, when you show them a picture of what an aborted baby actually looks like, it's shocking. For people who think that abortions are clean and sanitized, when you show them a picture that's gory, they realize that this is not something that they can easily support. And on the Christian side of things, for people who are pro-life, a lot of them are where I used to be. I used to not care about the pro-life issue um, nearly as much as I should have because I didn't understand the gravity of it. That gravity was communicated to me through abortion victim photography, and that's how I got involved in this work full time. I've seen so many other Christians be activated on this issue because of the photography. Countless people saying, I didn't know how bad this was until I saw what it looked
0: like. So a conversation about um, abortion seems uh, inevitably related to a discussion about uh, in vitro fertilization. And uh, there's still many Christians who don't really know what's going on here. So like, what is IVF and how should Christians be thinking about it?
1: IVF is a very difficult subject, um, partially because there's a lot of misinformation that goes around about it, and partially because there are different methods used by different doctors. Um, But in my mind, the most common method, which is to um, fertilize a large number of ovum, and then only implant the most healthy one or ones, um, this often results in the death of many young children who are in that embryonic stage of development. While some places will go and implant one at a time, that's really expensive, most don't do that. While some will go and put the other embryos on ice, that's not always successful, and there's a moral question there about going and fertilizing eggs in little tins and putting them into freezers for 10 years. I'm not sure what the Bible would say about that, but I know that for the babies that are intentionally discarded, for the ones that are thrown away, that cannot continue. If Christians are to be moral people, we cannot be throwing away innocent human beings into the garbage.
0: And, uh, and closely related would be uh, abortion, or not abortion, but um, birth control and abortifacients. So, or, what you know, Christians are sitting there going, look, I go to the store or I go to the doctor and I hear about all these different, different types of birth control very often it seems they don't know um, that some of them are abortifacients. So this is a work you've been involved in as well. What do, you, what do you say to that issue of birth control and abortifacients?
1: Abortifacient birth control is another area where there's been a lot of misinformation put out. A lot of people don't understand that the science is fairly certain that a lot of these hormonal birth controls, including the pill, don't prevent conception, they prevent implantation. And so what happens is these little babies get fertilized. Um, They, these little ovum get fertilized, uh, a new human is, is made and they have no chance to implant in the uterine wall and they just die. This is something that um, is far different than the natural biological process, right? God designed a process that some babies don't make it and that's his choice, but we make it our choice when we intentionally chemically alter our bodies. To make it so that those children don't survive, um, I would encourage every Christian who doesn't know much about this to go online and do your own research. Um, the Charlotte Lozier Institute is a great resource. Um, they're not entirely on the same page with me theologically, but I appreciate the research that they do. Um, of fashion birth control is widespread and used by a great number of Christians who don't understand it.
0: So, your last question for you here, Lucas. You've got. Uh... You know, we're post Dobbs, and yet there's still tons of work that needs to be done as Christians go out and speak truth to people and pray for them and pray that God would change the minds of people. As God changes the minds of people, the culture changes, eventually the laws change. Um, But there is like a culture of fear that causes people to not do it. They say, well, it's great for you, Lucas, you know, you're the director of outreach for Tiny Heartbeats. It's great that you do it, but they don't feel equipped to it or they're just given to that fear. How would you encourage them to overcome that and get to it
1: yeah if you are a born-again christian then you have the holy spirit living inside you you have a jesus that has washed you clean and has given you every ability to go through the good works prepared for you you don't have anything to be afraid about whether it comes to abortion or any anything else in your life what can the left do to you they're not going to go out and kill you for the most part I guess suppose there was somebody who died in Michigan and that's a tragedy, but that's not common. Mm -hmm. You going and talking to your family member, your coworker, your friend about why abortion is wrong. Oftentimes the worst that could happen to you is a little bit of reputation loss and what a cost for what could save someone's life.
0: Lucas, thanks for uh, joining me today. It's been a very good conversation. Encouraging. Thank you. This reading has been from my book, Wisdom for Kings and Queens, which Canon Press has just published. I wrote this book because, well, let's be honest, the train has gone off the tracks. We have manifestly entered crazy town and insanity is never a good long-term strategy. What are Christians to do in such foolish and evil days? Get wisdom fast, quick, and in a hurry. If you'd like to order the book, It is available for purchase right now at canonpress.com.